Thank you, Mike. Hello. This morning, I want to talk about delighting in the word of the Lord. First, I want to say thank you to Esther for preaching last week and for empowering the young people. Pretty awesome, isn't it? To see what she's doing with our youth from the youngest kids, teaching them that they can learn the words of Jesus and do the works of Jesus. Wouldn't that have been nice to be in a youth group like that where someone actually said, hey, pray for that sick person. Hey, you can hear from Jesus and share that with someone. We're coming back from a week in Florida in the exact spot where Hurricane Michael hit. Interesting. Three days before our arrival, and thankfully, everything was okay and we were able to go. Um, There was some lack of phone coverage, first world problem. And then there was some red algae. Who knows what red algae is? Anybody had that? That was our first experience of red algae, the burning eyes and coughing, and some dead fish and eels washing up. So that was interesting. The last day, there were lots of eels washing up, and there was some reason for that. I'm going to admit that I'm pretty sore, so if I'm kind of moving strangely, I am. Five days of throwing the football in the ocean, and then we had this game called Seal Team 3, where we took this big raft and I threw people into oncoming waves and crashed them. So my 48-year-old body is very sore. But we are rested and we're thankful. Some of you sent some texts and I appreciate it very much. On that note, ongoing Sabbath is really important for our Lords, isn't it? As God is on the move among us, And there's always something to do, always something to participate in, always something to attend. It's important to stay rested. Can I get an amen? Amen. Staying rested is really, really critical. And I think the Lord is going to teach us some about rest in the coming weeks, the coming days. Today I want to invite you to find rest and renewal in the Word of God. We're continuing our series on prayer because, as we've been seeing, prayer fuels everything that we are and everything we do here at Our Lord's. We believe that God does extraordinary things among us, but at the same time, we're committed to very ordinary things, aren't we? Like the practice of reading Scripture, the practice of prayer, the practice of, as Mike was mentioning, being known by other people, confessing our sin, our shortcoming, being accountable. So we are committed to the ordinary, day in, day out, sustainable practices like this. We never leave those behind. I was pondering over the past few days that every great athlete, every great pianist, Every person who excels at something, if you drill down into what they excel in, you're going to find that they never leave the basics. They always give themselves to the fundamentals, day in and day out, no matter how boring it might be, how 
much luster it might lack, I mean, the appeal of it. We always give ourselves. So this morning, I want us to look at delighting in the word of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you into this wild world called Psalm 119. So if you want to look in your Bible there, it's an interesting psalm. And if you've been with us in recent days and weeks, we've been looking at different expressions of prayer in the Old Testament. And recently we've looked at Psalm 63, Psalm 27. This is the last psalm that I want us to look at, and it's Psalm 119. It's a unique psalm and one that teaches us much about prayer, how to nurture our relationship with God, how the Holy Spirit forms us in the Word of God. A particular person named Dr. Richard Clifford and his notes in the Oxford Study Bible were particularly helpful as I prepared last night on my drive home. Amanda did much of the driving And so I was trying to prepare there on a desk in the car, very interesting, one of those lap desks. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses. We don't know who wrote it, but we do know that it is a love poem to God about the Word of God. This person is word-obsessed. What's interesting, if you look at the psalm, you'll have to bear with me here, it's made up of 22 little sub-chapters, each one beginning with the subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So from Aleph to Tav, it's like an A to Z poem of love. So it's a beautiful, stunning poem. Each of the 22 paragraphs is eight lines long. And so this person was recounting how much they loved God, how much they loved the Word of God, and created this stunning poem, this acrostic poem. There's 10 different terms that this psalmist uses when speaking about the Word of God. The most popular one is Torah. Say Torah. Torah. If we got Jewish friends or maybe a Messianic Jewish friend, you may have heard this before, Torah. We translate it law, but for modern ears, that connotes uh, legalism, doesn't it? The word actually means instruction, life-giving instruction. It's a beautiful, wonderful word. So this is a poem about God's instruction. It's not legalistic at all. Just to show you, in Psalm 119, 103, the psalmist says, your Torah is like honey. It's sweet to my taste. It has nothing to do with legalism. These are not rules and regulations. This is what Mike said. If you want life to the fullest, do it God's way. We'll see that shortly. So what we're going to see this morning is that this love poem about God and the Word of God teaches us four things that will help us cultivate our relationship with God through the Word of God. I do want to say up front, try to do this each week, historical context. This is in the Old Testament, and it speaks about the Word. For us New Testament believers, who is the Word? Jesus, right? So we read this, and we attend to it 
in its historical context, but we as New Testament believers, when we talk about the Word of God, we're talking about a living person, not a document, not a set of writings, but we're talking about interacting with the living Word, Christ himself. John 1 speaks about this. So I would urge you, even this morning as we ponder some of these things, you can substitute the Word Jesus. I delight in the word of the Lord. I delight in you, Lord Jesus. So the first thing that God does in and through us, through the word, is train our passions. In other words, through scripture, through giving ourselves to the word of God, our character is formed. Let's look at this in verses one through three. Always the beginning of something is super important. It's laying out the trajectory for the entire writing here. And verses one through three, listen to what the psalmist says here. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep the Lord's decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in the Lord's ways. So we're seeing that In Psalm 119, this is an invitation for people to read this psalm and experience fullness of life. Do you want life to the fullest? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want the the cup of your life to overflow? Then live life according to the Torah, right? It's beautiful. It's stunning here. So verses 1 through 3 are laying out two paths, the Torah way, God's instruction, which leads to fellowship with God, blessing, joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, or the foolish way. So suggested here in these opening verses, happy are those who walk with God, listening to the word of God, giving themselves to the word day in and day out. And the flip side of that is unhappy if we don't give ourselves to the Lord with our whole heart and walk in his instruction, then things aren't going to go so well. Now, a happy and blessed life does not mean you get everything you want and everything goes wonderfully, does it? It basically means in the midst of the difficulties of life, you will have joy in your bone marrow. The Lord will walk with you through this as you give yourself to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit through the word of God. So the word trains the passions. Look at verses 9 and 11. It's interesting. This psalm, like the Proverbs, was aimed at young people. The psalmist knew that if he could plant seeds in the minds of young people, in their hearts, that their lives would be forever changed. So look at verses 9 and 11. How can young people keep their way pure? If you're a young people, a young person, listen up. How can young people keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. That's verse 10. And verse 11, catch this. I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So how can a young person, how can a person... How can a human being walk in purity and holiness? By treasuring the word of God in your heart. You're treasuring something up in there. 
I, like you, I'm treasuring things in my mind and heart all week. It's a matter of taking inventory. What am I putting in there? So the psalmist is saying, store up the right things. Take the word of God and let it wash over you. Let it take root in your heart and change you, and you will find yourself walking in purity and holiness, having those passions inside of you refined, purified, aimed in the right direction. Look at verses 15 through 16, verse 20. We're just sampling some of this Torah-obsessed person's thoughts and feelings about the Word of God. Look at verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Then at verse 20, my soul, what does your Bible say? Consumed with longing for your ordinances, your word at all times. This is not religious idealism here. This is the word of God. This is a promise for us, for the people of God, that we can actually be consumed with longing for the word of God. How often? At all times. This makes me think of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says you can pray at all times. This is an invitation for all people, all walks of life. There is a place in God called consumed with longing for the word of God. I've given myself to this for 30 years and I'm still reaching for it. Have little glimpses of it at times where I'm consumed with longing for the word of God, for Jesus, for the presence of God. It is possible to be consumed like this. And frankly, this is the antidote for young people today. Young people are going to be consumed by something. There is a barrage of things that come at young people through this device right here. So I'm inviting young people, give yourself to the word of God now. You're never too young. Give yourself day in, day out. Is it work? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. Ancient writers talked about this. They talked about how the passions are refined. Basically, young people, and all of us have an internal fire that burns all the time. God-given, God-implanted passions, and the key is to have them refined, to have them purified, and to have them aimed Godward, right? So the ancient writers talked about the training of the passions through the Word of God being likened to a horse that's prepared or trained. Bethany knows this very well. In the ancient world, a horse was trained to be ridden by a person or to pull a chariot. They would say that it was broken, that its tendency to run wild or buck or bite is trained out of them. Perhaps a better word than broken is trained, right? And so through the word of God, all of these passions that we have, these desires, these longings, the Lord chastens them and purifies them and aims them in the right direction. If you read Psalm 119, you see it is a very passionate poem. It's not like the Lord takes a wet blanket and lays it over the psalmist's heart and says, okay, 
passionless existence is your calling. No, no, no. The Lord takes fuel, gasoline, and dumps it on the human heart and says, burn. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers in the second century, said the glory of God is a person fully alive. So the Lord gives us these things. We, we want to, to burn with passion, to burn and have people say, what is up with you? You are so full of life, so full of joy. There's a purity about you. I want what you've got. If we walk around sullen with a wet blanket over us, who wants to be around us? The glory of God is a person fully alive. The second thing that Psalm 119 shows us is that the word gives strength in temptation. The word empowers us. I love what this theologian Richard Clifford says in the Oxford Study Bible. Listen to what he says. He says, Psalm 119 presumes that human life involves continual conflict with evil. The major weapon in the battle is the divine word. Anybody here embattled right now? I am. I'm sure that you are. This is what Mike was addressing, the waves, the anxiety, the addictions. So Psalm 119 is one of the answers. If you're in battle, learn to give yourself to God and wield the divine word. Look at Psalm 119.41 and see how the psalmist uses this preemptive weapon. And again, we're not talking about a relationship with a book. We're talking about the book being a means to an end, and that is friendship with the living God, right? So the written text brings us into contact with the living person, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So the word gives strength and temptation. Look at verse 41. These are just stunning words and insights. The psalmist says, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. So in the midst of the heat, in the furnace for this person, what does he say? Lord, let your love come to me. Lord, let your salvation come to me right now. You promised that it would happen. And I'm holding you to your promise. Let your love, let your salvation come to me right now. I need it right now. Look at verses 94, 95. This is one of my favorite in the entire psalm. This will pray, my friends. I am yours. What's it say? What's it say, church? Save me. I am yours, Lord. That's six, six words. Let's say it together. I am yours. Save me. That can be prayed anywhere, in any context, in any temptation. Am I right? I am yours. Save me. That is a biblical prayer rooted, and the Lord will answer that. Then he goes on to say, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me. So he could be speaking about physical enemies. It could be speaking about spiritual enemies. We're not sure. Maybe a little bit of both. So Lord, I am yours. Save me. 
He's suggesting that there are traps set around him all the time, wherever he's walking. And his answer is this, Lord, I'm yours. Save me. Let your love come to me now in this moment. Deliver me. Look at verse 114, and then we'll look at the third thing here. The psalmist says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. The Hebrew word here, hiding place, recalls something that we looked at weeks ago in Exodus 33. You remember Moses was hidden in that cleft of the rock. That's what the psalmist is saying. Lord, you are that cleft in the rock. Will you hide me in yourself? And you're my shield. This is a Hebrew word for a large shield, a large, sturdy, durable, robust shield. And so in the midst of battle, the psalmist is saying, you, Lord, and your word I hide in you, and I'm shielded. I'm protected. Shortly after I gave my life to Jesus, age 17, 1987, wonderful decade, the 80s. I'll always be an 80s child. My family puts up with me, playing 80s music all the time. I came to Jesus, and I found myself what seemed to be in bondage to pornography. And in prayer one day, as a young person, actually reading Psalm 119 and reading about, Lord, I want to keep my way pure. Could this be a reality for me at 17? I remember one day having an insight. And as I was praying, and seeking God, I looked down at my wrists and I saw handcuffs. And I looked at them and I said, uh, Lord, what is this? I noticed they weren't metal. They were paper. And I began to realize at age 17 that through prayer and meditation on the word of God, day in, day out, I could snap free from those paper handcuffs. I wasn't in bondage. That wasn't the natural way to live, to have my mind flooded with these fantasies and images. The natural way to live is in holiness and purity. And so I began to discover at 17, give myself to the word of God, even when it's boring and difficult, day in, day out. Lord, I'm gonna treasure your word. And I began to experience victory at age 17. And it's been totally easy ever since then. <laughs> My nose just grew about eight inches. It is an ongoing battle, is it not? It's a battle. And 30 years ago, you would address the men. Now it's everyone, women and men, pornography, other things aimed at all of us, young and old alike. This is an ongoing battle. And the answer is the divine word, the living presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, meditation on scripture. A third thing, before we leave that, there's victory. Some of us are sitting here, we're in bondage. Look down at your wrists, whatever it might be. It might not be pornography, it might be drug addiction, it might be, you know what, the handcuffs are paper. The Lord has power, who has more power? Satan in bondage 
or the resurrected Lord Jesus. Look down at your hands. There are no handcuffs. The Lord will set you free. He's done a pretty good job for the last several thousand years. The third thing delighting in the word of God does for us is it provides guidance, direction. It's interesting to see here. You can look at verse 24. The word of God is personified, similar to Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8. Look what he says, the psalmist at verse 24. Your decrees are my delight. What's it say? They are my counselors. So there is something very personal going on here through the day, through the week. The words of God become advisors, counselors, wisdom speakers, whispering to the psalmist because he has given himself to this. So there's guidance and direction. The Lord comes to us through the word and speaks and guides. Amanda and I were talking about this. This doesn't mean that you open the Bible and every time a word leaps out and tells you what to do. That's rather naive. Look at verse 105. The word is pictured not only like a counselor, but a lamp. Verse 105 says, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's words light the way before us. Receiving guidance from the Lord through the word is not burdensome or difficult. I've made it that way. There's a simplicity to it. Hearing God, being guided, directed is not rocket science. It is marked by grace and simplicity. There is a freedom in this. The Lord wants your heart. And then I think the Lord says, as I have your heart, go and do what's in your heart. Scripture speaks of a highway of holiness, not a tightrope. Do you hear me? Walking with the Lord is full of freedom and liberty and grace. It is a highway of holiness, not a little, tiny, narrow tightrope that you receive guidance from the Lord. Make sure that our hearts Our minds are his, and he says, go and live full of grace and love, receiving guidance. If you don't believe me, look at verse 32. What does the psalmist say here? I run the way of your commandments. I run. I don't drag along. The word picture is not this. I'm following you. You're guiding me. This brother is running in the way of the word of the Lord, running. His heart is enlarged. Basically says, for you enlarge my understanding. The Hebrew word is heart. You enlarge my heart. I understand you. I'm living life to the fullest. Very quickly here, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard on the Bible. This is a Eastern Orthodox brother who lived died in 1944. His name is Sergius Bulgakov. Big name, but listen to what he says about the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible is an entire universe. It is a mystical organism, and it is only partially that we attain to living in it. This is the point I want you to see here. 
The Bible is a heavenly constellation shining above us eternally while we move on the sea of human existence. We gaze at the constellation and it remains fixed, but it is also constantly changing its place in relation to us. The word of God is the North Star. Do you need guidance today? Do you need to know where am I supposed to go? The word of God has the answer. The psalmist says in verse 89, the word is firmly fixed in heaven. So when Bulgakov is talking about that, that's what he's saying. He's saying the word of God is this expression of God's goodness and grace and mercy. You can go out and look at it at any time. It's there. It's fixed. It is the north star for the human race to look at, to contemplate. Fourthly, finally, delighting in the word of the Lord lifts the mind to God. I would say this is probably most important. The psalmist, who is a God and Torah-obsessed person, shows that the ultimate aim of the word of God is to lift our minds and hearts to the Lord. The point of Scripture is to bring us into living and loving contact with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 68. And again, I'm trying to whet your appetite a little bit because in a minute I'm going to invite you to spend some time with Psalm 119 over the next few weeks. Look at verse 68. What does the word do in the heart and mind of the psalmist? He can't help but think about God. What does he say about God as he's expressing his affection and his mind is lifted to God? What does he say? You are good. And you do good. Teach me your statutes. Open my eyes to see beautiful things in your word. The Torah stirs his affections. Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. How I love Torah. How I love the instruction that you give me. It is my meditation all day long. We're not going to look at this, but later you can look at Psalm 164. The psalmist says, seven times a day I praise you. I don't think that that means he looks at his sundial and he says, okay, it's the first hour. It's this. No, no, no. I think it's an expression here. I do think that he committed time to remind himself to turn to the Lord, perhaps take out something, a piece of scripture to read and turn to the Lord. He says seven times a day, seven is the number for what? Completion. So this guy is completely word obsessed. His day is just filled with turning to the Lord, turning to the Lord. We know David was like this. He was immensely busy, wasn't he? He was a king, ruling, fighting, constantly in battle, probably had more on his mind than we do, and yet he was also Torah-obsessed. That's the key, is that we schedule time to be with the Lord. And again, this is not legalism. This is an invitation. Do you want guidance from the Lord? Do you want the Lord to help you walk in purity and holiness? This morning is an invitation to give yourself to this. So in closing here, I'm, I'm inviting you to, for the next couple of weeks, to look at Psalm 119. Some of you have read it maybe multiple times. Some of you may not. You may get to it and skip over it. I'm going to urge you 
to work your way through these paragraphs over the next couple of weeks. Focus on a specific verse that leaps out to you, that speaks to you. You may want to take one of these four dynamics of the word and find prayers that align with those. The point is, spend time with the living word in the written word. We're giving ourselves to this afresh at our Lord's. This is something that all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we want to delight. We want to learn to walk in intimacy with the Lord. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we turn to worship you in other ways in communion. We ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And Lord, we look to you, we're weak and we leak. And so we ask you to give us grace and power and divine energy to be people of the word. Lord, I ask for the young people that you would lay hold of their hearts and minds, that they would walk in holiness and purity and that they would treasure your word, your promises in their hearts even now. We love you. We pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, the word himself. Amen.